Hello, and welcome to the Meltdown City Podcast with your hosts, Nicole Johnson and Allie Sundet. Our podcast is about reckoning with our restlessness and figuring out where we want to go next. We hope to laugh, inspire, and connect. Thanks for listening. Hey, Allie. Hey, Nicole. How are you? I'm doing all right. I've had better days. Oh, I can't wait to talk about it. You guys, guess what? We have a special guest today, and I'm so excited. We have Shane Jones, who has been a lifelong friend of ours, um, also a husband of one of our really good friends. And um, he is here to talk about all things, all things. I'm just going (laughs) to stutter all over myself. (laughs) But anyway, um, Shane, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Um, Long time listener, first time guest. (laughs) Fuck yes! (laughs) That's right. He's already taking over for us. This is awesome. Um, uh, So we know that you have been working uh, at Microsoft and you've done a lot of things in your career. I want to know a little bit about, I know you've been a bit of an entrepreneur. You always sort of um, inspired me when I was younger because you were up to cool shit that I had no idea what you were up to, but I knew that you were trying to do things that were innovative and try to work for yourself. So can you tell us about where you are now and then some of the things that you've done? Sure, yeah, absolutely. So I'm currently working at Microsoft. Uh, so I've given into the corporate world, at least temporary. I've been there um, a year now, which is about as long as I've been at any company. So um, I work in data privacy there in the office group, which is uh, only exciting in the sense that it's, scale is really big, like you're trying to protect the privacy of hundreds of millions or maybe a billion plus customers, which is kind of kind of cool. Wow. Um, but it's, you know, it's not uh, the most in, in sort of fascinating thing to do. So I don't have a lot I could share about uh, that, but uh, that's what I'm doing. How did you end up there? Uh, so one of the, I was consulting at Microsoft two or three years ago uh, in their research group and doing some pretty cool work there um, and met a bunch of folks. And then I was out at Alaska Airlines doing consulting work. And one of the guys I had worked for before had moved into office and was trying to build a team and sort of recruited me over. And I decided to join. Um, and it's been good. It's a, actually, it's a great company and enjoyed it so far. I was just talking to somebody today about how they have the most amazing gym there, that it's like the largest gym, uh, I don't know, like 6,000 square feet or something ridiculous where there's a spa and then you can, there's a like place you can drop your kids off and there's a little store and is that true? <laughs> <laughs> is that all true? Um, it is, it's definitely um, true. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a really cool campus. Yeah. Um, they have all sorts of great things there. Um, the benefits are great and all, like all those great things you hear about Microsoft are true. It's, but it's a little bit like working in like a kindergarten preschool environment, though. Um, I sort of joke about this with, with my wife because um, there's always activities going on. It's not like you just have a job. Like mm-hmm. you have a job and today is ice cream social and <laughs> Thursday is video game afternoon and wow. Friday we're going to go walk around the park. And it's like they're sort of, I don't know, uh, assuming we have the brains of six-year-olds. We've got to keep right. them interested. Um, but you know, I guess those all add up to a great work environment and, you know, people are happy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that's a trend nowadays. Like, like big companies are very interested in keeping their people there for longer periods of time. Hence, like the Beer Friday or like the basketball you know, court and, you know, and sort of like the common room and things like that. So that's kind of interesting that you put it that way. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely <laughs> a trend with like a lot of the Silicon Valley companies and all that. And, yeah. and it's funny about how Microsoft does it, though, is that they do everything earlier in the day. Like usually companies will say, hey, five o'clock, we're going to have happy hour. Or yeah. Six o'clock, we're all going to hang out and go shoot hoops or whatever it's going to be. And Microsoft's like, oh, at 2.30, we're going to uh, do this so you can get home by 5 <laughs> and see your kids. better, though. Like, Microsoft's full of families, you know? That's not yeah. the typical 
Um, you know, That's not, true. It's, it's not quite as young as Silicon Valley companies are. So That's, That's kind of true. awesome. I would really appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. I also heard a rumor about Microsoft. Um, did they go to four tens and like they're the first company who are like making a big move to make all of their employees like a four, you know, on a four ten shift. Therefore, the three day weekends are kind of commonplace now. Or um, not that I have heard, uh, but I'll look into it. So well, I, I heard some people um, on the radio talking about it. No, I do joke that they actually just do five sixes, and that's kind of like their deal. <laughs> so I don't know if. If we'll get to the four tenths, maybe it's, uh, the math is off a little bit. But um, but no, they they absolutely have work life balance there, and nice. they do not make you work long That's hours cool. and weekends and all that kind of stuff. Ah, so they're like going after the European work week. Yeah, a little bit. That's they're cool. also the most valuable company in the world, so I think it might make it easier to give your employees ice cream and gyms and stuff wow. when you are you know making the kind of money they're making. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Right. I mean, there's there may be some plus minuses to being in a corporate setting, uh, but there are also some super positives. Like, I mean, I'm always talking about trying to branch out and do, do my own thing, but there are some definite benefits to being in a place like that, especially Microsoft. Yeah, I think that the um, interesting thing, and I've kind of been on the other side of the fence most of my career. I've been competing against Microsoft and um mentoring startups and that kind of stuff. And the gap between, um, you know, a job at a company like Microsoft versus a startup and, you know, is really, really big. You know, like you, you have good salaries, good benefits, like they really sort of treat you well. And so if you want to take that leap of faith and do a startup where you go from the world's most valuable company to the world's least valuable company, it's, it's hard. And so I think it, it, people do end up staying there. Um, probably longer than they want to. Like I know some, a friend of mine that works there that really wants to leave and do his own thing, but he just can't get away from the golden handcuffs that they try to put on you there. So it's, it's got its pros and cons for sure, but it takes more to leave there than it does um, like leaving one startup <coughs> to join another or leaving a startup to start your own. It's, mm-hmm. it's just a different world. So tell us about your, you know, take us back a little bit. Tell us about your entrepreneurial pursuits. Okay. Yeah. You want to hop in the Shane Jones time machine? Yes. <laughs> yeah. how far back I want to um, know, like I, you were in your rumor was back in the day, like in the in your early twenties, you were working for yourself. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, that's true. So I, my first company, um, I started was like when I was 15 or oh give or take. Uh, so oh it was in God. middle school. He was and, like that little Royal Tenenbaum kid who was like doing the, the, uh, Dalmatian mice in his <laughs> in his room and selling them. Yeah, well, yeah I, can, I can go back to like yeah, some of the good elementary school stuff that we. Oh, we got. that's so actually awesome. I will tell that one because that I'm actually proud of that. Um, <laughs> so you remember Garbage Pail Kids? I do I remember yes. those. Um, so of course uh, everyone loved them, and there were all the popular ones, Hurt Kurt, and all those ones that people wanted. So anyway, we'd go and buy those you know, get the packs of them and then bring them to school. <clears throat> and I realized that, you know, kids had lunch money and are vulnerable. So I'm like, bam, pounce on that, you know, and see what we can make happen. Um, so me and another person in like, I don't know, third grade started selling um, garbage pail kids to kids and for their lunch money, or at least part of it. And then I found out that if you forget your lunch money, the lunch lady is obligated to give you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Oh, <laughs> And like there's some sort Golden of Golden opportunity. Yeah. So I started telling all the kids, look, you don't need lunch money. Like, do you really, if your choice is like cheese zombie, I love uh, it. or you can get PB and J and some garbage pail kids, like which way are you going to go with that? Yeah. And, uh, and so what ended up happening is that the lunch lady after like three or four days started running out of peanut butter and jelly. Oh, and she's like, wait, we just, you know, it's a third of the month and we don't have any PB and J. What the hell's going on here? Called in the principal. No and, uh, yeah. way. And so and they started like, you know, interrogating kids and figure out what the hell's going on. Doing a crackdown. Uh, yeah. And so they end up catching us. So me and the girl that was my partner on this deal, they like <laughs> corner us on the playground because that's where we would hawk all the stuff, like, you know, back by the, the big tire. And uh, they're like, so good. they catch you in the act. And I'm like, okay, well, what are they going to do to you? Like, we're third graders. Like, it's not like we're committing a crime. No. Um, and so the girl... As soon as they confront us, she just takes off, just <laughs> runs. I mean, like, like we're some kind of criminals at the border. She just, just shoots out and uh, left school, like just ran what? home. And so she got suspended and all oh, this trouble. Sh- 
<laughs> yeah, and I, it really? Tur- yeah, it turns out they just told me to stop. So, um, oh. so anyway, yeah, I got the the, the bug early. That was uh, that oh was gosh. that was fun. But no, like oh, in awesome. in middle school, um, there was a whole baseball card boom and bust thing going on with Ken Griffey Jr. and all the stuff was going on. Baseball cards were just like going up in value every week. Um, and so my first company was Shane's Cards and Collectibles, and um, we bought oh. cards and sold them at card shows and local shops and had all sorts of stuff going on there. And um, that was exciting. It was it was pretty fun. Was that your 15 year old? Yeah, yeah, I think it was about 15. Company, something, okay, something like that. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you're like walking around with hundreds of dollars in your pocket, and like everyone's doing great. And then the whole thing just hit a brick wall, um, which was like all the, the, the bust happened and cards weren't worth anything. And we got caught and lost a bunch of money and, and all those things. So it was, um, so that was fun and exciting to go with my brothers, I have you know, two older brothers. Um, and then my next company was, uh, American apartment outfitters, which I think that was my senior year in high school, I believe. Uh, right around there. So I was working at Jack Roberts Appliances, if you remember mm-hmm. that, you that remember. company. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, selling appliances uh, after school. And there, I had one of my customers owned a bunch of apartments, and I was hooking them up with these great deals. And then they said, you can't do it anymore. And I'm like, well, fine, I'll go do it on my own. So I broke off and started my own thing. I was selling washers and dryers and installing them in these apartment buildings and doing so that kind of stuff. So when you were... What, how old were you then? Like 18 then? 17? I think so. 18, probably 18. Like, that's amazing to me because I, I feel like were there people in your life that were like, what are you doing? Or or or, or, or were people supportive? Or, or I just feel like you just decided to do something that nobody else was doing. And you, did you do you remember at all those feelings of like, sure. I don't know what I'm doing, but maybe I do. Maybe this will be something. Um. So in terms of like my state of mind at the time, there, you know, at that age, you're just full of arrogance and you think you know everything. And so there was really like no lack of confidence, like, sure, I can sell apartment building appliances. Why not? What the hell? Um, so I didn't have any really issues with it. But uh, in terms of support, like my dad was, was amazingly supportive, has been throughout my entire um, career. Um, and he actually, so he had a company in Seattle I would borrow his truck to, like, he was the president of this company that sold marine supplies, and we would take his truck, and during his lunch, like, he would come out and help me install his appliances, and, you know, he had, like, his, like, suit on and all that, um, and so, yeah, he, he was really supportive, and my mom just never, she was very supportive of me, but I don't think she really understood what was going on, like, she was always like, you have so much potential, and, you know, aren't, you know, what college are you going to apply to? And, and I, um, was never going to go to college. Like that was just never going to be, that was never my plan. And so I think she probably was fearful that I was going to be mm-hmm. homeless and live there forever and yeah. you know, that kind of thing. But, um, but both my parents are very supportive. And by the way, Shane, how did you actually do this? So what do you mean by, I'm going to go and sell these appliances on my own. What did you, what do you mean by that? Did you like buy them and then, mark them up and resell them to people yeah, yeah. and then you also got money for the labor of, of installing sure them? yeah that's exactly sort of how so i was selling them uh selling appliances when i was at jack roberts to this uh-huh. customer yeah and then my manager's like you can't give them that deal anymore and i'm like well yeah. it's i give them that deal I've, I've shook hands and it's done he's like well you gotta call them up and tell them no and i'm uh-huh. like it's not the way i was raised like you know we, yeah we had a deal um and so, yeah, basically what happened is I quit, went out, got a business license like that day, mm-hmm. um, called up Sears and created a contractor account and got a you know, wholesale appliances from, from them. Uh, got a line of credit from Bank of America to like pay for all of it. And then, really? um, yeah, and then just mar- I sold them for the same price I had, I had given them before. I had yeah. my price. Right. And then, yeah, I got paid for the installs and all that. Wow. Oh, that was it. That's so. amazing. Was that yeah. then, like, after that, were you like, I got it. I have the, I have the bug. Like, I do. Were you like, I always have, that you knew you wanted to work for yourself? Um, I, more <clears> or less, <throat> yes. Yeah, like, I never, I didn't respect authority a lot and all that kind of thing. So I didn't want to be told what to do. <laughs> um, uh, but I really was into finance. Like, in high school, I was, I was all about Wall Street and investment banking. And I wanted to you know, live the Gordon Gecko lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It was all about Wall Street and, and the movie was really important to me. 
Um, and so I actually like I got my Series Seven license to be a stockbroker while I was in high school. So I studied that on my own, um, and then I applied for a job when I was in high school to be a broker. And I realized these guys are just sleazy assholes. Like I don't know what I was thinking they were going to be like some amazing, yeah. you know, Mother Teresa types. But um, I was like, I can't work with these people. So oh, wow. um, so I kind of veered away from finance at that point, and then. Um, Got into technology, but, you know, so shortly after high school, I started, you know, the internet, this was 94, mm-hmm. the internet was just starting to become a thing, and um, went that direction with everything. Wow, so tell us about your companies, tech companies. Yeah, so the there were a handful of interesting pursuits that went, like most of the things I've done have gone nowhere, for sure, like it's all uh, a bunch of failed corpses in the, in the uh, uh, trail. Uh, which is funny because my dad actually has a shirt that has all of the logos of all of my companies and my brother's companies on it. <laughs> and, and it's like, That's there's so like 30 cute. of them on there. Aww. And it says, um, uh, what does it say? It says, oh, my son started all of these companies and all I got was this t-shirt, <laughs> uh, which, is, which is pretty much about, about right in terms of his uh, return on investment. But, um, but no, I started pursuing uh, some tech stuff right out of high school. I went to BCC for I think six months or something that so my mom wouldn't freak out um, mm-hmm. and my brothers and I tried to start a tech company for like I don't know maybe a week or something <laughs> uh, it was called uh, Trinity Ventures which those three of us we thought that was clever um, yeah and we were going to make websites for uh, home um, product companies furniture companies and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing and it's one of those things where like you're, you're on this just roller coaster uh, at least my brain was at that time was this uh I thought, oh, these are the best ideas in the world, and this thing's going to be awesome. And uh, we, we went after it, and we sent out these mailers to all of these furniture companies um, around, the, around the country. And we were like, if you want a website, just fill out this little form and fax us back, and we'll create you a website, and it'll be awesome. Uh, so we sent those out. And of course, like it takes, what, four days for the mail to get out there. And by the fourth day, we're like, oh, this is a stupid idea. This is dumb. <laughs> like, and I think we got in some fight, too, because it's like oh. three brothers. We're like, oh, screw it. Trinity's dead. This thing's done. Uh, so we killed the company off. And, uh, and I remember like, I go home, uh, and I had a fax machine in my bedroom at the time. I was living at my parents' house. And like, I, go, <laughs> I get in my room. I open the door. And there's just like fax paper all <gasps> over the floor like and the foot it's just like ringing non-stop they wanted it yes so there were badly. like there must have been like a hundred of these things i'm like holy shit like um we had some business maybe, now yeah and and by that point like we'd gotten into arguments between my brothers and i i'm like screw it i just crumble them up in the garbage i'm like no, i'm not doing that um oh and uh which was which was actually cool because that was the first and i think the only time that i've been reported to the better business bureau because uh, some of these companies like like wait you promised us a website you didn't build it and then they, oh. they sold me out and right. so Trinity Ventures has a real bad bad reputation bad rep out there <laughs> yeah so so we're not, don't revive that um, that brand name but that was the sort of start of my interest in the internet um, and uh, I guess long story short I ended up um, doing a handful of things between A and B there but then started a company that became called E Project. Uh, so I started that in 97, um, and it was basically project management software for companies, and it was all online, so it was all web-based project management software, kind of like um, Slack and mm-hmm. rocks like that today. Um, so I started that and moved back home to my parents' house and lived in their motorhome, um, started in my dad's garage, and... Uh, we had some, you know, a couple of early wins. Like the, there's an architecture firm called MBBJ uh-huh, that's, I know them. Um, in mm-hmm. town. They were our first customer. Oh, yeah. oh, um, so they used a big our, architecture firm. Yeah, they were awesome, fantastic um, customer, and they used our software to <clears throat> coordinate all the designs and engineering work for the um, World Cup soccer stadium in South Korea. Uh, so that's essentially, awesome. the architecture architects here were sharing CAD files back and forth, and they were. FedExing them and it would take, you know, uh, overnight and all this yeah, expense. Lots and of money, yeah. Yeah, so I could um, have them upload those to our website and the people would wake up in the morning, the engineers in, in uh, South Korea, and they could just download them and be right off and running. So, um, so that was the start of it and it was a, a wild journey. I mean, I was there for, I think, seven years or something and we had our 
ups and downs um went through the whole dot-com rise yeah, and, and fall and, yeah mm-hmm. and survived that um with, with a bunch of stories to tell along the way uh but the company ultimately survived um, i left in like 2003 or 4 something like that and um it went on to do really well um, did you sell it or did you sell so your i sold sell, my shares your share yeah. yeah for you know pennies on the dollar kind of thing um and all of the early shareholders got wiped out as new new investors came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but because by the time I left, I'd raised maybe seven million dollars for the company. Um, we had about a hundred employees uh, wow. in that range. Ultimately, they raised like another, I think, seventy million, give or take, um, before they got acquired. They finally got acquired, I think, three years ago. Oh wow! So. And in fact, one of our uh, high school classmates still works there today. Who's uh, that? Uh, Eric Bergman. Was, oh, I know. Yep. Yeah. I hired him, um, <clears throat> I mean, back in 90, what, 2000 maybe? Something yeah. like that. He's been there like his whole career. So That's cool. Good for him. Hi, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah, you're he's, listening. He's killing it over there, dude. He's a VP over there, so. Oh, my God. Yeah, congratulations. Kudos. That's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Congratulations to you, Shane. That's quite an accomplishment. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. It was, um, <clears throat> it was a fun journey. Like, I mean, it was... Uh, Everyone else was sort of in college at the time, and I used to joke that I was basically going through college and getting paid for it, so it was, mm-hmm. it was fun, uh, but it was a gift. I mean, I um, I ended up getting fired from the company by our board of directors, so it was it was uh, an interesting sort of ending, you know, when you start a company and then get canned from it. Wow. Um, that happens but, to people, though. Yeah, for sure. So why? why? Did they give what? you an explanation, or is it just kind of thing where um, they just pull you out no they so i definitely knew <coughs> there were i mean it was there was a tension a lot of tension going on so what happened at the end of the day is that the board of directors and i disagreed on the future of the company like i was convinced mm-hmm. that we need to keep growing raise some more money keep going and and like the, the market was uh market opportunity was massive I and mean, we were getting just tremendous feedback we had, we had amazing customers i mean huge companies were buying our software and, it, and our revenue was doubling every year and I just wanted to keep the throttle down. And they, um, the fact that we had survived the dot-com crash, I think they were, many of the board members were really um, quite a bit exhausted, I guess, with that whole process and felt like, well, let's just put the brakes on for a bit, relax and grow a little bit slower and see what happens. Um, and I just didn't have that in me. So that tension ultimately, I think, led to um, me getting fired. Uh, in, in addition to that, there was a, a, a massive snafu that occurred, which I, I can publicly talk about now. It's, it's fair game. Um, Go for it. Do yeah. tell. Yeah, which we is, like which, dirt. Is a, which is a great, great sort of failure. Um, <clears throat> so I uh, got rid of our CFO. I, like I was the CEO, and I was also running finance, and all we had was like a bookkeeper. Great guy, but like he was in way deeper over his than head. He have yeah. Been, yeah, and um, so he, through some sort of miscommunication. He had stopped paying uh, employment taxes on uh, all of our payroll and thought like we'd be able to make up for it later or something. It was a, a, a not a good situation. And so we ended up owing the IRS about a million dollars at the time. And oh. um, so the board of directors was not really excited about that, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that's on me. That was that was under my watch. I should have caught that. Um, but what was, what was cool about that is that uh, is this, is the CEO of the company, you're personally liable for that tax. So mm-hmm. like one day the IRS just sort of like knocks on our door. <gasps> um, Candace and I are living in the apartment in Mercer Island and uh, we got like a two year old or a little oh daughter and all God. that. And they're like, you know, Hey, um, he hands this letter and it's like, Oh, you owe us a million dollars and we'd like to talk to you next Thursday at three o'clock in the afternoon. <gasps> uh, yeah. Which was, which was like not the exact letter you want to see. So I, I go in and meet with them and they're like, you know, um, <laughs> kind of like interrogating you a little bit. They're, they're trying to flex their muscles on you. But the, the bottom line is like, well, uh, the good news is that there's no criminal charges for what has been done. So you can't go to jail. Um, I'm like, oh, that's, that's helpful. Thanks. And like, uh, <laughs> there's like, the silver yeah, lining. But the bad news is, is that this debt can never be extinguished unless it's paid and you owe it personally. So we will come after you every year of your life until you die until you pay us a million dollars. So um, you're going to get to know us really well over the course of your life. What? And, uh, oh. it, and it's like, and they're like, hey, you can't file for bankruptcy. You can't do anything. You, you can't. can't. There's you can't no way of getting out of it. Yeah. Like if, as long as you're earning money in this country, you're going to be paying us on that million oh. dollars. 
um, which was like an awesome thing to go home and tell your wife. Like, <gasps> hey, I got an IRS speeding, and the good news is I'm not going to jail. The bad news is... <laughs> oh, my God. We uh, owe a million dollars. Yeah, you kind of wishing you were in jail at that point, but... Oh, yeah. my God. But ultimately, the company survived. They paid the debt and, you know... Don't have to worry about it. So how long oh, did good. that? So they did it. Thank God. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. How long did they? Did it take to pay it? Do you know? It, it wasn't yeah. a long time. Like it was uh, maybe uh, a year that, or two. Yeah. Something like that. It was either a situation where the company was going to go go under, and I was screwed, or the company, if they survived, they would be able to figure it out over time, and and they did. I have my ch- I have chest pain. Thinking about that. Oh, that's so Yeah, tough. that's great. Well, it shows I mean, you how sort of messed up my mind was, though, like at the time, because I just remember laughing when I left because I thought it was so funny that, like, the, cir- the cir- whole situation just yeah. seemed hilarious to me. Well, um, I mean, I it, it, I mean, yeah. just the, I can't even believe that. I mean, did you just show up? Yeah, you, yeah. you must have, like, an amazing amount. Like, you don't really ruffle your feathers yeah, like i mean you had so much responsibility i mean even being a ceo a cfo having that kind of news dealt to you i would like cry first and then mm-hmm. like dig myself my own grave pretty much i mean like yeah. that doesn't bother you it it doesn't or didn't um <clears throat> and maybe it's just a character flaw or whatever but i, <laughs> no, uh, I think no the, the reality cool. of it was is that for me personally, um, there was never anything that I was really like too afraid about for my personal situation. Like, I was yeah. married to an amazing woman who was like doing all of the raising of our child. I was not, you know, there very often in the early days of her childhood, um, and so she was able to carry, you know, a huge burden. And she's also super smart and can work and make money and all those. And so, like together, we would be fine. I knew like we'd always be able to yeah. find our way in this world. <clears throat> mm-hmm. um, but I did worry for other people. I mean, like the responsibility was stressful. I know like during the dot-com crash, uh, we had reached about 75 employees and um, we ran out of money. Like the market just fell apart. We were out raising $10 million round and it didn't come together. Um, and we had to lay off uh, 50 of those 75 people. And it was like a family. I mean, it was really a tight-knit group. Yeah. Um, and so like in one day you go in and just, have to tell all these people that you love and care about and worked with that like you're gone and you're fired and sorry sorry and we're giving you like two weeks severance that's all we can afford I yeah get, i'd love to give you more but yeah i can't do anything more than that and um and then you have like 20 people or 25 i guess that were left and then you had to get those people together and be like hey if you want to leave too you can um like my only commitment to you is that i all i can commit to is that i will make payroll in one cycle and that's it. Like if you work here by the end of that cycle, I will make sure you get paid, but I can't tell you that we'll have money for yeah. the payroll the next, the week after that. Um, and so I did, I worried about that. People had families and you know, um, mm-hmm. it was a lot on the line, but you know, yeah. it all worked out. Damn. What? Oh my gosh. That yeah. Crazy. That is crazy story. Shoot. What do you think? Um, what was your biggest success so far in your career? Do you think it was the, the, well, you can tell me. Sure. So like professionally, the, the biggest success, um, like just in, in sort of an abstract yeah. way. Yeah. Not was, like traditional. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. The, the biggest success was just the, the product that we built at your project. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I believed in that a hundred percent and we had the most, um, phenomenal, team of people that were building that and they were way ahead of their peers in terms of the product they built. I mean, the, mm. the technology that, that they were building in 2001, 2002 was still innovative five, well, 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I, you know, it was just a phenomenal thing. A bunch of young people building project management software, which isn't something that you intuitively understand in your twenties. Like you have to go out and listen to customers and learn and yeah, work hard to build it. And- yeah. Um, and so I, I think just that product in itself and all the people that built it was for sure like the, the most abstract success. Um, I think the most like definitive success in that company was the quarter that we made our first million dollars in revenue and turned profitable, mm-hmm. uh, which was like a huge, huge push. It was also kind of the, like, 
in, indicative of the failures too in that time in my career. But you know, we had worked incredibly hard to try to meet this goal. And um, Candace and Emerson and I were actually in Europe because I, I hired a sales guy to run the comp or run the sales side, and we mm -hmm. were on track to make this number. Everything was exciting, and we were doing this customer tour in Europe where we we're just kind of going around and also doing some vacationing at the same yeah. time. <clears throat> and we're two weeks out from the end of the quarter, and I call my VP of sales, and he's like, "Yeah, we're not going to make it." And I'm just like, um, "What? Like, what do you, that's what not do you an mean? option." Yeah, like, no, we're. And he's like. No, we've done everything we can. I'm sorry. I thought it was going to happen. So um, but we're not going to make it. And I was just like, fuck, you know, like that's not going to work. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a, the company's on the line. And so anyway, we um, kind of relieved him of his duty in a sense. And I, I came back early and um, just dove in and started selling. And over the course of two weeks, the whole team rallied. And it was just a um, like this thing that you're proud of, but you also – can't really even understand how you got there. Um, mm -hmm. But in the last week, you know, it was, we were up, I should say I was up uh, with a lot of different parts of the team. Um, I, I think essentially you sleep maybe an hour a night, maybe oh 30 gosh. minutes. And there would be days where you just would cycle through a whole day and get to the next one. And because um, we were selling to European customers at night and oh, American yeah. customers during the day. And you're basically just working 20, yeah. Any, anyone who's awake, we would try to sell to. And there's people awake you know, around the world. Uh, um, right. But yeah, so we ended up, we hit the number that quarter and it was phenomenal. And that was like the peak of our um, momentum. And that's, mm -hmm. again, that's where I was probably really optimistic about the future. The board was like a little more conservative at that point. That's yeah. where the tensions all started. But that was oh, yeah. a definitive big win um, for us. That's so, that's so cool. I yeah. can't imagine what that would have felt like that. Like, I, f I feel like the energy of that whole thing must've been incredible, <clears throat> like to actually make it when you're, when you're told, no, it's not going to happen, but you, but you guys figured it out. Yeah, it was. I mean, I, it was definitely, um, I don't spend a lot of time like saying, I told you so, or whatever that is, but we did like our early investors. There was a couple of them that were amazing. Um, a guy named Marty Talker was like the most phenomenal investor that we had and then there was um, a couple others that I won't name that were horrible and I remember one of them um, he's he's worth like 50 60 million dollars something like that he was a Microsoft guy and as soon as we hit the rough patch um, he like immediately just turned the, this this other like, type of mentality towards the whole thing and so I'll oh, just shut it down I'm like Okay, well, I'm not. I just, I've been working on this for three years. We got people, we got customers. Like, eh, I don't. Yeah, I just think you should shut it down and go get a job. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not doing that, you know. And uh, and then he's like, then he writes me this nasty email that's, that says, um, uh, I think you defrauded me, and I want my money back. Oh and, my god! Uh, you should shut the company down. I told you you should do it now, and whatever. What? And um, and I remember I just called him up at, at it was midnight. And I I called him up right after I got the email, and I'm like. If you really think that I defraud you, like I, I can tell you right now, I, my dad will sell his house and he'll give you the money. Like he, I, I'm, I'll pay him back. Like you want your quarter million dollars? Fine, we'll give it yeah. to you. Um, and he's like, no, no, I'm just having a bad day or whatever. And it's like, you know, fuck you. Like, yeah, for sure. You don't send an email like that because you're having a bad day. You know? Yeah, um, yeah. Like, I'm trying to keep this going. So I think in that context, the fact that we survived, um, it was sort of like sweet in that way because there were people that didn't believe in the team and us and mm -hmm. you know we we pulled it off yeah what did you like most about working for yourself um you know i i that's sort of tough because uh there's a lot that i like about it and there's a, a lot that i don't and the, what i'll tell you is that i think the one thing i did like working about myself and i do still to this day is that um there's really no limits on whatever you want to pursue or however big your ambitions are or whatever grand your ideas are. Like there's not um, this, this group of people telling you uh, like, no, I think, you know, you should just maybe cut that in half and work on something smaller or try, try, try this safer path over here. Like there's no one to sort of um, walk you off that ledge and be like, no, it's a little too risky. Like it's all up to mm. you. You can, you can be, take as big a risk as you want. And you know, that's, that's the way it is. Um, I feel like you're you speaking know. to me right now. Yeah. <laughs> like all well, the stuff you're saying, that's so cool. Yeah, I, I think, it, and everyone I think feels that when you venture out on your own. Um, yeah, but really what I loved about working for myself in that context was not working for 
myself. It was the people I worked with. Like mm. uh, when I'm still running the people I used to work with at E-Project, it's not that I miss those days because of the ego of being CEO and mm -hmm. you know all that kind of stuff. I just miss those people and what they were capable of doing. Like you know, you just were a part of that amazing team, um, mm -hmm. and you don't always get to play for an amazing team. Like a lot of your life, you play for a mediocre team or mm -hmm. sometimes a shitty team. Yeah. Um, and this was just an amazing, amazing team. And they're still accomplishing like all of this awesome stuff um, today. That, you know, And so I do miss that part of working for myself, like who I could choose to work with, I guess. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rob always says he likes, he wants people on the A team. Sorry, I don't know if you can hear. Rufus is creating a little <laughs> nest in his chair behind me. Rufus! But um, Rob always talks about he wants the people on the A team. Like yeah. he wants like the you know, yeah. wants the, and it's you know, he works for himself. So you know that's, un, that's I I can relate to he can relate to what you're saying. Yeah, no, it's definitely something you keep you keep chasing. I want to be a part of. So what do you, what advice do you have for somebody who's like thinking about starting something on their own or branching out doing their own thing? Uh. Well, it's an interesting question, and I think it totally depends on the circumstances of who they are. I, could, mm -hmm. I think if my, I do mentor um, younger entrepreneurs more often than people that are in the middle of their careers. And so for younger That's people, I, push, I definitely push them more to take more risks um, and really explain to them that the true benefit of, of starting a company young is not the potential money because you're, you're pretty much not going to make that. Like most people don't financially do well with startups. It's very rare. Um, but it's just the tremendous amount of knowledge you can capture so fast in your career. I mean, like the, the things you can learn in a startup would take you four or five, six years in school to learn. Mm -hmm. um, and so there it's just like, just do it. Just go do it. And the worst case scenario is you, you know, don't make any money, but you have massive experience to, to pull back on and use later. Um, but I think for people that are later in their, their careers and have a job and have a family or, or those sorts of things, it's a very different sort of advice that I, I give. Like I really think that it's important to um, uh, financially prepare for that risk because um, mm -hmm. the, the added stress of making this leap of faith to do something mm -hmm. and then immediately like you wake up that morning after you quit your job or whatever and you're like, <laughs> oh shit, there's no paycheck in two weeks and we're now using our savings and now our savings are getting smaller and like, am I doing the right things? What about college for our kids and, and healthcare? Oh man, like you can get really nervous really fast. Um, and there's actually a lot that you can work on on ideas before you have to make that commitment of leaving a job or uh, doing what else. So like, you know, the moonlighting activity that you do Mm -hmm. can be much more focused, much more structured, mm -hmm. get you further along before you have to make the sort of financial commitment to say, okay, now I'm going to put everything I have into this and actually go do it. That's amazing. So Shane, how do young people get a hold of you? It sounds like you kind of mentor people regularly. Uh, are these just like personal friends or friends of friends or, or yeah. do you, are you, are you at? Out there, are you? Right, sorry, a, do I want people to, be able to hold me? Yeah, are you, are you like a life coach and we don't know it? I'm how like, big this uh, How do they get a hold of me? They don't. Uh, no, uh, like anyone certainly could get a hold of me whenever. Like you can find me on LinkedIn or Twitter or or uh, Instagram. I think I have two two posts on Instagram, so I'm not like super active there. Uh, but no, people find you and you run into people. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm not it's hard, kind of an organic. Um, process. But I've tried to get a lot more um, uh, focused, I guess, in the mentoring that I do, and which has been interesting change in the last year for me. Like I used to, any young person with a startup, I'd be like, yeah, let's grab coffee, and I want to mm -hmm. help you out, and I want to do these things. Um, and that's because that attitude like really worked well for me earlier in my career. And I don't know if like people are different today or if I just mm -hmm. got lucky, but early in my career, I just had that attitude all over the place. Anyone wants to grab coffee. Like I'll, I'll buy any entrepreneur lunch. Uh, you know, like I'll fly you into the city I'm in if you want to come meet me. Like, I don't care. Like I, I'm here to help you because so many people helped me mm -hmm. uh, getting where I was in life. And I ended up uh, mentoring uh, two young entrepreneurs on Mercer Island uh, after I left E-Project and um, uh, Aaron Levy and, and Dylan Smith. These are two kids that were starting some this cool company with cloud storage and sharing files and all this, which was in, in line with what I did. Like I found them just in the Mercer Island 
press newspaper when we were living there at the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, let's grab lunch or coffee and I'll talk <clears> to you. So like, I ended up mentoring those guys really early in their career. And they went on to just have this huge run. And they're still like, Aaron is still like uh, probably the most um, highest potential CEO, I think, in the, in the tech industry today. Wow. They run a company called Box that's now a $3 billion public company and, and all this. And it's like, that was really rewarding. You know, personally, they were great to work with and um, it was good financially and, and all that. Uh, but I've had a lot of others over the course of time where you're like, look, I'm putting more into this relationship than you are. Like, I'm trying harder to make your startup a success than sure. you are. Like, yeah. last time we met for coffee, you were saying, you should, oh, yeah, I should work on that. I should do that. And this time we're meeting, and you didn't do any of that shit. So it's like, no. you know, I really don't have time for you. Um, yeah. And so I shifted my mentoring this last year to work with youth um, in technology. There's a foundation in Seattle called Greater that uh, Russell Kung, the former Seahawks, started uh, that teaches technology and entrepreneurship to Middle, middle school and um, high school students. And mm-hmm. so I've been mentoring there, which is Ooh, like way more rewarding so cool. than like that's... your average um, startup mentoring thing. Yeah. So, um, so I don't know, like, it, but I'm always open if anyone's out there and thinks I could help them, just find me. So. We'll have your contact and we'll list all the other stuff that, um, that you've talked about on our show notes too. Yeah. So, cool. yeah. Okay. I can't wait to ask you this. Yeah, so you, yeah, side hustle. Like, now that you're, you know, working for Microsoft, you, you've yeah. got it good. Um, let's talk about your side hustle. What, what's up next for you? Um, well, I assume that you want to talk about comedy. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> yeah! But, so, I'll, I'll I, before I answer that, like, mm-hmm. really what I am interested in, um, if you want to call it my side hustle, is... Uh, artificial intelligence and I'm working on startup ideas in the AI space now, oh. uh, which we don't have to get you know too deep into, but like my dream there would be really to use AI to um, drive you know, meaningful change in a lot of people's lives. So the one idea that I've been working on is trying to create um, an artificial intelligent agent that would be a uh, companion to uh, dementia patients essentially yeah so it would be um a you know think think alexa but something hopefully way way better and way way cooler Mm -hmm. it would be able to comfort and Mm -hmm. um you know what uh, was that movie with um oh man (laughs) you know what that happened sorry uh ghostbusters 2 (laughs) (laughs) walking phoenix and he was the with it, he had his like oh, artificial yeah. intelligent girlfriend. Yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah, I'm thinking less on the sex side and yeah. more on. But I mean, like know, in somewhere yeah, in the not middle there. Companionship. <laughs> right, but she, she was. But really the idea soothing. of a bunch of dementia patients having sex right. with robots is sort right. of funny <laughs> and quite a good lead into the comedy side of things. So. Excellent segue, <laughs> Nicole. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so anyway, I, I so I do have some legitimate uh, interests, but uh, but no comedy uh, is something that. I have um, been spending a little bit of time on lately. I've always liked to make people laugh. I think everyone does. It's fun to make people smile. Um, and then is it just as a joke, I like robots. And so for a while I was um, had this whole bit that my daughter probably had to hear more often than anyone else, like on rides <laughs> to school, uh, unfortunately for her. But uh, that, I, that, that the robots were, my theory was that robots would learn comedy at some point as they started to build consciousness and intelligence. Right. Um, but that they would learn uh, how to laugh at jokes prior to when they would learn how to write jokes. Because, like, you know, writing jokes is harder than laughing at jokes. So we'd have all these robots that are taking over the world and, and killing off humans, but they would still find jokes funny. They, they wouldn't be able to write them. So I was going to be the, <laughs> the court jester of the robot world. I was just going to be their little minion who told jokes to the robots all day, and so they wouldn't kill me and my family. Oh and my so God. I just would come up with... Um, these really stupid robot <laughs> jokes that and, and I would tell them to my daughter like, on the way to so school elaborate. and stuff. Um, and, and of course they were like incredibly just dry and, and stupid and I would rarely get a laugh out of her or anyone else. Uh, and I would just, I'd always play it off by saying, well, you just don't get it. You're not a robot. <laughs> and it was like, we just like move right along. Um, and, and I would always, so anyway, I would say that I had this book of all these robot jokes and I, of course I never wrote any of them down. Um, so I think there's always been a little part of me that would like to be able to tell jokes and not just be sort of a funny guy, but actually yeah. be able to entertain people. Um, 
But what really got me interested in thinking about it was uh, AGT, America's mm -hmm. Got Talent. Yeah. Like, I'm a huge America's Got Talent fan. Like, uh, that's the only show I think I loyally you know, watch uh, whenever it's on. And like, I cry on every episode and, and I just love all these people and all their stories oh, and, and all that. And so I'm always sitting there like, what could I do? to be on that show, just like be in the room with all these amazing people for a day and mm -hmm. audition. And like, there's pretty much nothing I can do. Like I have no talent uh, of sorts that would, would get me on a stage like that. Um, so comedy is the closest thing I could get to. So I figure like, you know what, I might as well try that so I can audition one time and then hang up the hat and yeah. you know, call it a day. Wow, that's so awesome. Would you really do that? Like audition for America's Got Talent? No, like I am doing that. You're going to do that? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, of course. Where do you have to go? LA uh, well, or I, they Nevada? Have, this is so exciting. They're, uh, they're, uh, well, they announce <sighs> other cities, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. And so LA is like the closest one. I think yeah. it's in February or something like that. Um, and I put my email on their little list. So like I'm, you know, I'm in, I'm, You're I getting that good. step. Like I went that yeah. far, right? Submitted wow. that form on their website. Fuck yeah. Um, but before you get excited, it's like mm -hmm. the, these auditions are, <laughs> I don't know if you like watch the show. I enough. watched the show. Okay. Yeah. So the auditions are literally like a thousand crazy people that just go to a mm -hmm. convention center. So I'll yeah. just be one of a thousand crazy people in a convention center. Yeah. And one or two of those people will be uh, truly talented and the rest of us will just be there. Right. Know, yeah. Doing our thing. So, oh no, my God. I, yeah, I, no, I, God. I certainly intend to do it for sure. So, have you been working on your bit? On your, on your, sorry, uh, routine. routine? So, I, yeah, I have. I have worked on a bit of it for sure. Um, and it's way harder than it looks, is what I've realized as mm -hmm. you get into it. Like, it's easy to sort of try to tell a little joke, uh, um, but to actually put together a whole routine is really, really difficult. Um, but it's, it's fun because it's like any creative endeavor. Um, you like second guess yourself all the time and you think it's horrible and you're like, after you write a joke, I go, oh, I just want to rip this up and like burn it. Cause the, the world should never be exposed to that horrible thing I just wrote. Like, it's not even, not even funny to me. Um, and, but, but that's, I think that's part of living and you know, life is to have things that make you feel uncomfortable and yeah. not very confident and yeah. hopefully you can grow. So I have, I've tried to write some stuff. Some of it's okay. Some of it's not. Um, I did write a little bit around something that Allie, that you riffed on in one of the podcasts, which I thought was hilarious. Which one? And you guys are hilarious, by the way, if you can just like put that plug in. Thanks. I, I, like, Thank I you. find you to be very funny and, um, which I enjoyed. You were riffing on failure in mm -hmm. one of your episodes. I don't know if you remember this, but I, you were like, I do. Uh, you basically are saying, to, you know, people praise failure like it's some great thing. And oh, that's, yeah. that's bullshit. And yeah. You're kind of, you know, having those bad days, I guess. Mm. Um, no, and so, and I thought it was, it was like super funny because like it is bullshit that people, mm -hmm. you know, talk about, oh, failure is so great and all that. So I did put they together do. like a bit based on that. <clears throat> that's Can't you want me to try to give you I do, that? yeah. You're, thank, you're such an inspiration. Seriously. You haven't even yes. heard the thing. No, yeah, I know, but a, like this entire thing, I've this been time, thinking yeah, no. about that this whole time, Shane Jones. I just, I just never knew all of these amazing things that you think and do and have done and you're aspiring to do. I'm just so proud of you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's hear it. Okay. Um, so the only, I've only like tried to stumble through this once mm -hmm. with, uh, again, <laughs> poor, my poor daughter, like anytime she goes in the car, <laughs> like we were literally driving to the grocery store. Like it wasn't even a long trip. It's like, she's like, dad, can you take me to the grocery store? I'm like, sure. Yeah. Hop in the car, lock the door. It's like, Hey, I got a little joke I want to tell. I'm sure in her mind, she's like, Oh shit. Not, Great, dad. not one of these. So anyway, I, I, I did the, the bit with her and, uh, she gave me some pointers, which was fun. So, all right, I'll try to give you some of it, and I'll stumble through it, and we'll see, okay. see where it goes. Uh, get, get my Zen moment. I wonder if I should close my eyes and pretend that yes. actually people Yeah, I was imagining, actually, before we even talked about you coming over here, <laughs> that Ali and I should sit over there and be like, we're the audience. Oh, uh, yeah, pretend the audience. Oh, but, or you could just close your eyes. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it open-eyed. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I started doing stand-up comedy lately, just recently now, uh, which is... Interesting is when I, when I tell people that, uh, they give you this really weird reaction. I think when you're 43 and you have a career and a family and you tell people you're going to do stand-up comedy, they like get really worried about your <laughs> life. 
They're, yeah. They like instantly think this is a midlife crisis as opposed to that like eight year old kid who's smoking weed and like mm-hmm. playing video games all day. And you, you tell someone you're going to do stand up comedy. Like, Good for you. You actually yeah. get out of the house. That's, that's great. Um, but no, when you tell people now, they, they, they immediately come back with, Ooh, stand-up comedy is really tough, which, you know, is, is not a good start. And then they, they, they'll immediately tell you, like, how hard it is to succeed. They'll tell you, hey, uh, you know, like, only one in a million stand-up comedians actually make a living out of it. Which I find a little bit offensive to start with because I already make a living. Like, I don't, I'm clearly not doing this, you know, to pay rent. I'm doing it for fun. Um, but anyway, I, I try to make this like puppy dog, uh, sad face right after they say that. So they know they hurt my feelings really bad, which is just fun to screw with them. Uh, and then they'll, <laughs> they'll bring you up with one of these failure quotes to try to cheer you up. Like, oh, well, you know, it's not about how often you fall down. It's about how quickly you get up or, you know, fail fast and learn often and crap like that. Um, which is all bullshit. <laughs> it's total bullshit. You know, let me tell you these. Uh, but you know, I, I lack enough confidence when I get home, I Google it anyway, and, and found that there, there are like websites full of these failure comments uh, and quotes that are out there. And the irony in this is, is that all of the quotes are from successful people. Right. Like, it's Winston Churchill on failure, Steve yeah. Jobs, you know, it's all billionaires and war heroes and things like that. It's never go. that fuck up who's yeah. got like the quote, like the guy who just sits behind the gym and vapes all day, who's like, you know what? Raspberry tastes a lot better than blackberry. Like, yeah. There's nothing, nothing to learn there. Um, so anyway, no, I, I, I certainly failures. No, they're definitely oh, not. They're man. not making the list, right? Um, and so there's one I came across was Thomas Edison. He's got this famous quote: "says I, I have not failed. I've just learned ten thousand ways not to do it, or something like that." Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started thinking about inventors. Like you know, there's inventors out there that should actually make these lists of failures. There's a guy. Uh, from the, the uh, 18th century, an inventor named Richard Trevithick. Uh, that's the guy's name. And he's like a colossal failure. And nobody ever quotes this poor guy. Like, you have to, like, <laughs> you have to dig him up on Wikipedia to figure out what the hell he did wrong. And there's plenty of life lessons <laughs> in this guy's journey. Um, that's so and, amazing. And you got to just sort of think, a, a guy whose name is Richard Trevithick, um, just to sort of digress for a second, like what were his parents actually thinking? Uh, if your last name is Trevi Thick, and are you going to name your kid Richard? Like, is that a, a curse, a gift? Like, what do you like? If your last name's Small and you name your kid Richard, you're definitely just being an asshole. Like, that's there's no getting around that. But like Trevi Thick, sort of something you might be proud of, I suppose. So anyway, um, uh, old Dick Dick Trevi Thick was. Uh, uh, he was screwed from the get-go. Like, this is the true story, this poor guy. His first job was as an engineer at the Ding Dong Mine. Like, that's the actual place where he worked, the Ding Dong Mine, which I find quite interesting. How desperate would you have to be for a job that you would apply and accept one at the Ding Dong Mine? You know, it's like the dipshit inn is all out of openings or something, and you're like, oh, I'll just go down and work at that, that mine. Uh, anyway, I, I'm not an expert on 18th century mine safety, but I'm pretty much assuming that if you work at the Ding Dong mine, your chance of surviving to get a second job is really <laughs> slim. Like, it's probably not going to happen. That's probably where you're going to spend your, your couple of months working and you're going you're gonna to die. Um, and if you do get out of there and you want to go and like, further your career, could you imagine submitting a resume where the only experience is a summer internship at the Ding Dong Mine. Like, you're not getting a call back from anyone on that. There's no interview that you're going to get. Like, you're, you're way better off just leaving that off the resume altogether. Like, don't, don't put it on there. Um, you know, you'll, you'll end up with one of those notorious gaps in employment that people love to, um, uh, love to grill you about, uh, which I find... Super, super funny when the recruiter is uh, trying to interview and they just start interrogating the shit out of you on this gap in employment. Like, please explain these uh, three months here where you weren't working, like you were out killing people or something. It's like, uh, oh, yeah. so anyway, I, I, I came up with a great um, little spiel that I give people whenever I had a gap in my employment. I just say, well, you know, uh, fortunately I've been able to save up enough money that I could pursue my interests in. Uh, disease prevention, and I also have been doing computer simulations of post-climate 
uh, apocalyptic storms to try to figure out how to survive <laughs> a little bit better. And they kind of just That's what I've been like, doing, you son kinda, of a bitch. Yeah, they just sort of look at you like, what the fuck is that? Um, which is, which oh. is really funny because it's just a nice way of saying that I moved back in with my parents. I got a flu shot and I've been playing Fortnite for the last yeah. three months. So that's really just a nice way of describing that whole um, experience. But anyway, back to our buddy Dick. So he was uh, this, this inventor. And after he got out of the mine, he did end up inventing stuff. And he actually invented the first steam-powered automobile in 1801. Like, how smart do you have to no be to, do, to engineer a car and invent a car that runs on water in 1801? Mm -hmm. um, so he's a great inventor, horrible at marketing, though. He called the thing the Puffing Devil. That was, <laughs> the, that was his brilliant name for the automobile, the Puffing I Devil. Uh, which I find really funny because it's like that's clearly not a good name for an automobile. Like a great name for Snoop Dogg's cousin, um, but not a good name for, for an automobile. Uh, so he gets two of his buddies to test drive this the automobile of his. And they decide they're going to just take it down to the bar, grab some beers, and drive home, which clearly DUI laws weren't created yet in the 1800s. Uh, they park the thing out front, and it burns down while they're inside. It's like... <laughs> Burns to the ground. Oh. Uh, so that's his first big failure right there, which he, I'm sure he could get a quote out of that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, fortunately, no one was hurt in, in the accident, but scared the shit out of the local folks when the newspaper the next day said, Puffing Devil burns to the ground outside the local <laughs> bar. Not exactly what you want to see uh, on there. So Dick decides he's going to build a second version of this. So there was a Puffing Devil too. Didn't stop at the... The first failure. Uh, and I find it funny, like, how uh, loyal or stupid do you have to be as a friend to test drive the Puffing Devil oh, 2 no. oh, after no. the Puffing Devil 1 burned down right outside the bar? Um, but fortunately, he worked at the Ding Dong Mine and had tons of stupid friends. So he got four guys to drive this thing. And they literally get like 50 feet down the road and it just explodes <laughs> and kills all four of them. Just no. boom. Oh, Puffing Devil God. 2 is a disaster. Uh, and he blamed the operators uh, on this. He, uh, our Dick Trevithick thought it was not his fault that the Puffing Devil blew up. It was these guys' fault. And I'm just like thinking, how do you actually get there with that? Like they were, what, leave the indicator light on for a little too long and blink a blink a boom. Oh my this God. thing just blows up. So anyway, um, Dick Trevithick, he's the one that should have quotes on the <laughs> failure sites. Good old thick Dick. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's actually there's some there's good jokes that they can take. So anyway, uh, like, so it's funny about that bit is that like in your head uh, when you're when you're first coming across this, you're mm -hmm. like, oh wow, this is really funny to me. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start writing it, and you're like, this is actually way less funny right. than it was to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, and so like saying it out loud, it's mm -hmm. sort of fun to go through it. But even like halfway through, you're like, oh, this is just not as funny as I. I thought mm -hmm. it would be, mm -hmm. um, which, which is what I kind of like about comedy and why I, I'm having some fun with it is that you realize that the people that are actually really good at this work really hard mm -hmm. at it. Like mm -hmm. Jerry Seinfeld's got uh, these, these notebooks that he's been working on for years <clears throat> and the mm -hmm. joke like may not ever see the, mm -hmm. the light of day, mm -hmm. um, but he still keeps it around and works it year after year. And, mm -hmm. and when it's perfect, he'll bring it on stage. Mm -hmm. um, so like I'm... Nowhere near my audition quality yet, but I'm on my way, so we'll, we'll see if I get there. I just want to say that was some funny that was shit, really bro. that was actually really funny. Like, yeah, yeah I was I was uh, as a, I do watch the America's Got, Got Talent, and I was like trying to picture um, the judges watching you, and, and I was like, huh, yeah, I don't think everybody would buzz you, <laughs> not, <laughs> not all, right away, not not all actually give me a little bit of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully, I yeah. can work it you know over the next couple of months and get something. Yeah, in. no, at least gets me like one not X. I'm, yeah, I'm fine if, if three out of the four X me, but I just want yeah. one. Yeah, okay. yeah, right. Yeah, uh, there's some real real potential there. You did yeah. a great job. That was yeah. honestly super awesome. Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You have got some talent. Thanks. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the um, Americans next talent, like the okay. intro or the. Yeah, I didn't, the, I didn't recognize it at first, which given all of the context that we had, I really should have. Like, you think, ah, what is she singing? Hmm. Um, no, that's, that was pretty good. That kind of got, got me motivated a little bit. 
Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. So anyway, you, that was really cool. Okay. I just want to say thank you so much, Shane, for coming out and uh, doing the podcast with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. It's yeah. been, been a pleasure. And, and uh, thank you guys for doing the podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. exciting to hear. It's fun that you're melting down with us. <laughs> yes, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, you did. Yeah, you had like a great body of work to share and we're very inspired by it thanks yeah appreciate it maybe you can come back yeah and try your try your routine again after we'll get it after you perfect it (laughs) yeah okay cool uh wait where can we find you on social media do you just want me to leave it for the show notes uh you could find me on twitter at shane d jones is my twitter handle i think and then on instagram i think i'm watch and roll watch and roll it is yeah nice sweet those heads All right. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks Shane. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in today. Please follow us on Instagram at Meltdown City Podcast, or you can email us at MeltdownCityPodcast at gmail.com, or you can check us out on our website at MeltdownCityPodcast.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks for listening.